so many dancers talking about representing the art for well, but it's not just about representing it when we step on the stage, but also how we represent it when when we organize events or, or when we put our dance teams or when we do production. Join Jelena's Ballet Dance Evolution for their 10-year anniversary performance featuring the best of BDE, classic choreography, epic music and the stars that tell the stories of Immortal Desires, Dark Side of the Crown, Alice in Wonderland and Phantasm. See the show in Los Angeles on August 24 or audition for the cast by June 19th. More information at BalladanceEvolution.com Welcome to Baladance Live podcast with weekly portion of stories, tips and dance inspiration. My name is Jana Komarnitska, I'm your host and I invite you to explore all nuances of Baladance Live together with me and our amazing guests. Let's start! This episode is brought to you by My Inner Dance, a lifestyle and fashion brand inspired by Baladance. You can find all a great selection of different items at the, the website myinnerdancer.com. Hello everyone, how are you doing? Welcome to podcast, you're listening to episode number 64. And have you already seen announcement about our first, first Ballet Dance Live Podcast Challenge on Instagram? I know I was talking about it in previous episodes, but... It's finally officially announced with all full details and we are starting on May 20th. So if you haven't enrolled yet, if you haven't started participating already in it, go ahead and check all details on Instagram or also you can go on uh, my website yana.com slash challenge. I'll put a link in show notes. Starting on May 20th, over the course of 10 days, we will help you boost consistency in your dance training. Yes, I know it's a pain point for many of you, so here we are <laughs> helping you with that. Five teachers, five technique drills with combinations, and fantastic gifts from podcast and from our teachers. Would you be interested to know who are four other guests who are joining me in this challenge? Well, drum rolls, please, <laughs> because they are absolutely fantastic. It's Jelena, Esmeralda Colabon, Jazira, and Julia Farid. And over the course of 10 days, as I mentioned, starting on May 20th, every two days, you will receive a 15-minute ballet dance drill from one of these teachers. So probably right now you are kind of asking, okay, so how to participate? What is actually required to be part of this challenge? So here are a couple of uh, very simple uh, steps that you need to do for that. So first of all, you can find the announcement post on any of these teachers' Instagram feeds and you need just to comment and you need there that I'm in, that you are in, you are with us, so that we know you are joining us. After that, share the poster on your Instagram newsfeed with hashtag Podcast. Yes, now we have our own hashtag 
hashtag on Instagram. And please don't forget to tell us a little bit about yourself in your post. Uh, how long you belly dance, what you like about this dance, and also what are your dreams and goals. I have been already reading to other people who already shared the posts about it, and it's super inspiring to read about your dance uh, journey and about your dance dreams. So thank you already for those who already shared, and I can't wait to read about uh, all of your dance uh, journeys and dance dreams. After that, don't forget to follow all our uh, teachers and sponsors as well. You can find the list on Instagram post of all of these teachers or as well again on the website page, yanadance.com slash challenge. And after that, it's only do the drills. It's only 15 minutes once in two days. But if you do it more than once, if you do it every day, just repeat, it will serve you even better. But at least once to do a 15-minute drill in two days, you will also learn during the drill a little combination from each teacher. And you simply need to record yourself and put uh, on Instagram with the hashtag of Balladance Life Podcast so we can see that you did. And the only thing that we are going to track is your activity, your engagement. This is not a competition per se. We are not competing with each another. The only person you are competing with is your own laziness. And we believe that you can find 15 minutes in two days for yourself and for your dance skills. And you can't stop excuses and just do it. <laughs> we believe in you and hope that you're ready to dance with us. And of course, at the end of challenge, we'll have amazing gifts to encourage. And it's not going to be just one person. We actually will choose seven, the most uh, uh, active and engaging uh, people who will do all workouts. And they will receive amazing gifts that include our Baladance Live podcast mug or tank top on person's choice. And yes, we do have a finally a merchandise related to the podcast, but that's another topic. I'll tell you later at some point about it. But also among our gifts uh, is uh, a $75 gift card for Minor Dancer Online Storm, 50% discount for the full package of Rugs Glam Festival organized by Jazeera, one of the DVD downloads of a live taped show by Baladance Evolution, also on your choice, among Immortal Desires, Dark Side of the Crown, or Alice in the Wonderland. How awesome it is! By the way, Baladance Evolution has 10-year anniversary celebration in August, and uh, it's also awesome that you now, as a part of this challenge, can win one of their DVD downloads and also see the entire show recorded. Also, there will be a a special gift from Esmeralda Calabon and her brand Viloca that they give a pin and t-shirt as well as jewelry set from Isadora Design, necklace, bracelet and earrings and also one of uh, my video courses of your choice as well among uh, ballet dance rhythms, Turkish Romani dance or learn how to ballet dance complete guide from A to Z. 
it's a lot of gifts and I am so excited and can't wait to give them all to you. And all you need is literally to do just 15 minute workouts, improve your dance skills, work on the consistency in your dance training and that's it and share with us uh, that you did it. I can't wait to start this challenge. It starts already next Monday, May 20th. So don't wait, go ahead and participate. Again, you can find all details either at Instagram. You can check any of Instagram accounts of uh, uh, participating teachers, including mine, and you will find all details easily there. Or you can go to the webpage yanadance.com challenge. And uh, once again, the link will be in show notes. Now, on another topic, let's move to our today's uh, guest. Because today we have a very exciting topic since uh, Natalie, the organizer of one of the biggest uh, uh, festivals for sure in USA, but uh, very likely even around the world, annual Miami Ballet Dance Convention uh, is sharing her insights and her tips on how to put a festival together. And uh, originally from Argentina, she currently resides and works in USA, in South Florida. And for many years, she has been an organizer of some small events, such as Hafla's or guest workshops or student galas, etc. But for also for basically 12 years, she's involved in the organization of uh, Miami Ballet Dance Convention and the amount of teachers and the amount of uh, participants that she managed to bring together and gathered at her event is just beyond incredible and I'm sure a lot of young event organizers right now will be happy to hear about her experience and how she managed to put things in order and to make sure that the flow of such a huge amount of people is going well and pleasant for everyone. And also she kindly shared one of the hot topics and sort of problems or pain points for many organizers, such as visa procedures for artists. So I'm absolutely sure you will find this interview helpful, especially if you are considering ever put together your event or maybe you are one of the young organizers uh, just new in that uh, field or maybe you're already advanced organizer but still uh, there is always things to learn and improve and it's always better to learn on someone else's uh, experience and mistakes rather than do our own so enjoy the interview and let me know what you think afterwards and uh, by the way don't forget to send thank you to natalie too for being so kind and uh, generous on sharing tips and insights on this uh, uh, topic of event organization and don't forget to participate in the challenge i can't wait to dance with all of you Hello, Natalie. How are you? Uh, welcome to our show, and I'm so happy to talk to you today. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be a part of your show. Mm. I know that you are a very active dancer and a successful event organizer as well as a director of the school, but uh, let's uh, start from the very beginning to start our conversation. Do you remember... Uh, 
first moment that you thought about going to a ballet dance class and try it out? <laughs> oh my gosh, um, that makes me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely a long time ago. Um, so I uh, am originally from Argentina and I began my dance classes over there. Um, I was uh, never uh, growing up. My my goal was to become a belly dancer, more um, more of a ballet dancer. I guess as a little girl, I started with um, uh, the discipline of ballet and other other disciplines and other arts forms like flamenco and jazz and um, contemporary. So I was more into that route of dance. Uh, my dream was definitely to become a ballet dancer. Um, as I grown up, um, around 14 years old was when I first discovered belly dancing, um, and definitely was just a more as a hobby. The first time I did it was in a gym, um, not very introduced um, into the discipline of the art form, more of like a like a workout dance. Um, but as I continue digging deeper into this um, culture and, and, and dance, I definitely wanted to learn more and to definitely understand um, how to dance it and, and learn about the culture. So um, shortly after, I started actually uh, going to different Middle Eastern restaurants back home in my country, and um, I saw a beautiful belly dancer perform, and I definitely, that's when I decided this is exactly what I want to do. Um, but I was really young, and so I studied very little over there, but then I moved to the States um, two years later. So it was really when I started really taking real belly dance classes was here in the United States, uh, one of my first instructors here was Tamarinda Love um, and Boshenka, and so definitely um, I, I I remember very clearly the first time I stepped into into their uh, studio. It was definitely I was very excited, and I believe here in Miami. Tamalinda Lindala was uh, the pioneer of um, the one who made most of the dancers that are here. <laughs> so, so yeah, so her school was one of the first schools that I, I started taking belly dance classes, um, just more into the discipline of belly dance. And then, to be honest with you, it was more of like uh, self-taught with um, different uh, classes, um, uh, by in, in in that time we used to use DVDs, <laughs> mm. so DVDs and videotapes and things like that. Um, definitely with two dancers that I admired a lot growing up. Uh, when when I started getting into belly dancing, well, one of them is Saida from Argentina and Amir Taleb. Um, so they are they are the ones that definitely um, kind of I would say I started really uh, digging into study. Because I wanted, I, I love the uh, the fact that they incorporated their their ballet and that that discipline into um, what is today called Middle Eastern dance. Mm. Uh, you know, something brought my attention while I was listening to you. I love how ballet dance it kind of embraces all uh, uh, generations. Because uh, even you were talking uh, now about your teachers and two of your teachers we actually had featured on the podcast before, Tamalinda La and Amir Taleb, and uh, they both are still like active dancers and teachers. It's not like in some other 
for instance, in ballet, that uh, we have like very strict uh, retirement uh, age, and some people continue yes. as uh, teachers. Some ballet dancers continue as teachers, but a lot of them just retire and switch professions. And in ballet dance, it's uh, so great that we can uh, uh, see at the same time. Uh, both generation of teachers and generation of students working and being active uh, uh, members of community at the same time at the same like uh, stage and years that, that's uh, that's that so is, nice yes. to hear <laughs> definitely that is so true and one of the main things with belly dance was that the um, I love the fact that, you know, when I see my my teachers still teaching or performing or posting nowadays that we are so active in social media, posting uh, Facebook posts and Instagram posts, um, it just encouraged me so much that, you know, you're still seeing them um, continue with the legacy, you know, and um, I love that. I love that. And you're right. And by land, there's not that. Usually, you know, you after your 30s, you got to retire and never dance again, <laughs> you know. So it's, it's lovely to see this. So from uh, starting uh, in the beginning with a typical uh, classes, belly dance classes at the gym, now you grew up to such a successful and known uh, uh, member of belly dance community. And I think one of the... Uh, significant events that you are hosting is the Miami Convention, which is, I would say, one of the biggest by the scale <laughs> of events, validated <laughs> events around the world. For uh, how many years uh, are you organizing this event and how did everything start it? Yes, so I tell you, um, I this year is going to be our 12th year uh, 12 years organizing the Miami Belly Dance Convention. And to be honest, sometimes I get surprised myself. I can't believe it. But yes, it has become one of the biggest uh, festivals. Um, I used to always say, marketing-wise, I used to, the way I used to market, I used to always say uh, the biggest belly dance festival in the USA. But then as I continue uh, meeting dancers that come from all over the world to the event, every year I get surprised, like how many countries. I, I meet people from so many different parts of the world that come to my event. And sometimes I ask them, how do you even know about my event? I've never even been in that country. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, they are they're the ones who actually encourage me. And they tell me that they travel to so many different festivals and and um, they said to me that this is not only the biggest in the in the USA, but it's also one of the biggest and most well organized in the world. And when I hear that, I sometimes blush. But I, I, I sometimes I, I, I don't know. I have to pinch myself and say, really? Um, so, so yeah. So, so this is uh, when I say it is, uh, it's the biggest in the world, like I say, I blush when I hear that, but a lot of people really is the participants that tell me this and it's very encouraging uh, to keep doing what I'm doing when I hear that and when I see people coming from South Africa. I think two years ago we had people coming from South Africa, from Australia last year. We have China, I mean, Japan, I mean, everywhere. Um, and so for me, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, to know that everything started back in 2008 um 
like I told you in the beginning, I used to dance different art forms. And so here in the United States, not only I continue with training as a dancer, taking classes for myself in belly dance, but I also continue training as a dancer in other art forms. I am a big believer that even though you become an instructor, you always have to continue growing yourself and continue feeding yourself so that you can continue giving to your students the best. And so I always continue training in ballet and other disciplines. And um, one of the, the the dances that I always wanted to really explore was Latin dance, salsa dancing. And so I got really involved in uh, different schools here in South Florida and studying uh, with salsa dancing, I would go to what they call social dancing and dance uh, with different partners to learn. And I joined a dance team professionally. And when I started traveling with them, we started dancing in different uh, conventions. Um, they call it congresses for, for salsa. And I remember a good friend of mine is actually uh, one of the organizers of the Orlando Salsa Congress. And um I went there as a participant and back in, this is back in 2007, and I was just so amazed. I had so much fun. I learned so much, so many people from so many areas and so many parts of the world and singers and bands and uh, competition and shows. And I was already um, an active dancer and belly dance, of course, um, teaching, performing, traveling. And um, I definitely, I, I had it in my mind. I said, oh, we need this in belly dance. We need it here in the States. We need something like this with belly dancing. How cool it will be to have dancers from all over the world, you know, to meet in one space, one weekend, vendors, bands, and competition. And back in 2008, when I started the convention, competition was not big here in South Florida. There was not many competitions. Um, um, there were competitions in other states like California, um, but over here there was really none. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really, really, that was what, what inspired me to to begin um, the idea of putting together a festival. I just didn't know how I was going to do it yet. And I didn't know the name. I didn't know anything, but it just started, um, just that's what sparked the idea. Mm. And did you have any event organization ex- uh, experience before? Like maybe, I mean, of small events of guest teachers, or did you right away start with a uh, festival? Well, no, I used to organize, I was already a, a dancer, like I said, and I used to organize like hustlers and different small local events. Um, you know, organization was always one of my skills for some reason. I always say there was kind of like, a, like, of course, with the years you get better than you learn and when you're studying. Um, but in the beginning, I always had, um, I guess one of my gifts was always organization and here in south florida i used to um organize a small um shows and that's how my company started uh my dreams belly dance company started so i used to organize uh a small hufflers and different uh restaurants and um putting together different dance shows and i started really small like that and that's how my experience organizing shows developed. And then, of course, that uh, led on to theater productions. I did my first theater production back in 2006. 
Um, and so that's how we started growing. And that's when in 2008, I decided to um, start with um, the Miami Belly Dance Convention. So I started small. You know, I started with restaurant, Hufflas, um, uh, organizing that, and then I moved into theater productions, and then, of course, the big festival. Mm. But talking about uh, organization and organizational skills, uh, when I looked at your poster, I counted about like, I don't know, 12 people, 12 guest teachers or more or less uh, there on the poster. And even from this simple organizational perspective, how did you manage to put everyone together <laughs> on the same <laughs> dates, on the same time? Like, do you start... Uh, with uh, specific dates, like booked venue, and then you try to find teachers who are available there? Or do you find first teachers and then see which days are available? Because all the teachers uh, were coming, even if you are talking just about your next upcoming uh, event, uh, Miami uh, Ballet Dance Convention, they are all very busy people. <laughs> and they usually book like a year or sometimes even two in advance. So how how is your process start? Do you start with dates? Do you start with teachers availability? <laughs> yes, well, yes, definitely to put together the Miami Valley Dance Convention that takes one year. Um, people only see the final product, of course, of maybe a few months uh, earlier when they see that I start heavily pr promoting the event. But in reality, I started working a year and a year ago for this this event. So as I am organizing, as I am during the weekend of the event of last year, I had already booked some instructors for this year. So so it's definitely a whole year like preparation. Um, Two years ago, I, I, I became a mom, and so that even more so required for me to prepare even more time in advance because uh, once you become a mom, you know, things change a lot, so it requires a lot more preparation to make sure that you can still manage such a big event and so many people at the same time, and at the same time not neglect your family and, and continue doing your duties as a mom as well. So, mm -hmm. so to be honest, yes, it takes a long time. While before becoming a mom, I had a lot more freedom to do it, and all I did was to really focus on organizing this. Now I, I still manage to do it. I just have to always prepare ahead of time. And, and nowadays it's so much easier than it was back in 2008 when I started because we have so much um, communication with social media. And, you know, nowadays you can talk on the phone with anybody internationally with apps and things like that that were not available before. So it's a lot easier to connect with somebody around the world um, and being able to speak with them and book them. And mind you, I think for me, one of the main things, um, because I like to always bring new artists and new people into the States, also one of the main things why I need to prepare ahead of time is because I bring them internationally from other countries, and a lot of these people need visas uh, to enter the United States. So that's a whole process in itself. So, so it is... It is definitely an organization that you need to just prepare ahead of time and make sure that, that you know all this. You know, you got to prepare with people who don't have visas and you need to bring them into the country. And then the people that already have the visas and the people that you already know you're going to work with um, from years ahead of time. And so you have to contact them, you know, way, way in advance, mm -hmm. of course. 
but are you starting with contacting people like what is more important for you to make sure that you have a nice uh, uh high level i don't know booked venue or like whichever specific venue for specific dates or is it more important for you to make sure that that specific master teacher will be and then you you start with their availability well you know that is if we're going to talk about different events organizations i mean that is very very personal in the sense of what the event organizer wants to bring for me to be honest uh both of those things you just said is as important and as equally important. And the reason why is because I am the kind of person that I believe that I like always to bring the, I, I want the Middle Eastern dance to be recognized in a higher level. Unfortunately, as dancers, we know that for belly dancers, we don't have the same recognition. We're not being recognized as well as it is with uh, ballet dancers or modern, even hip hop nowadays, you know. So for me, I really feel that that also is a responsibility as a dancer to bring into whatever we put in together or whatever we're organizing quality, not only quality instructors, but also quality venues. Because if you see other dance forms and other dance events, they are being organized in, in, in good spaces and good places for people where they can actually feel like, oh, this weekend was amazing. Not only from the instruction I got, but where the place I'm staying and uh, the stage I'm dancing on and, and the workshops I'm taking. So I think everything needs to be equally as important when you put in an event. It can be, okay, my I'm going to go 150% into hiring the best instructors, but then doing the event in a a crappy place that is falling apart, you know? Mm-hmm. So I feel like it, it, it's equally important, especially if you're going to charge money for people to come, they have to also get the best. Uh, they got to get the best of, of what it is. And you're representing the art form. And so if we want to represent the art form um, well, I hear so many dancers talking about representing the art form well, but it's not just about representing it when we step on the stage, but also how we represent it when when we organize events or, or when we put our dance teams or when we do productions. How we represent it in an equality that that it says that our dance is, is high or are we represented in a, in a way where, like, oh, we're just belly dancers, like a lot of people see us and don't take it seriously. So... For me, always was very important when I put the Miami Belly Dance Convention that people will get the whole experience of it, not just uh, a good teacher. Nowadays, everybody hosts good teachers, and you can take a, a private class with a good teacher, but the whole weekend experience needs to be in a high level for the students that don't get, and they invest so much money to travel across the world to come to this place. So why not giving them something good you know true you also mentioned uh one of the uh, aspects of (laughs) our industry is that uh, ballet dance is typically not uh, that much recognized as an art form by general audience um and this is great uh, your point of bringing it to big venues uh, big respectable venues to actually break those stereotypes and show and showcase it in the best light but i kind of feel that these uh, issues of uh, uh, not being recognized already as a well-established art it may also create some difficulties uh, for uh, visa 
procedures for invited artists. Um, I just was thinking about my own cases whenever I had to do visa to go to attend some festivals and the invitation letters from festivals, I think uh, none of them had the word ballet dance in the official letters. There always was dan- dance festival <laughs> uh, something. And I just right now realized it. I, I guess uh, it- I might have been just... Um, uh, by a chance, uh, it was those festivals who didn't have that in the name and there was no back thought about it even. It just happened that they naturally put just dance festival. But how do you find, uh, as an organizer of belly dance festival, uh, does it create the nature of the dance and the stereotypes around this dance? Does it create any difficulties for you to help artists to get visas to go and work uh, and perform and teach at no. festival? Actually, you know, very good that you asked that question. It's so, so good because, you know, to be honest, I'm so proud, proud of what I have, I have achieved in the sense of, and no proud on the sense that I, I think so highly of myself, but proud in the sense that I always, I always call the Miami Belly Dance Convention the Miami Belly Dance Convention. <laughs> so mm-hmm. even all my visas invitations have the name, the logo, um, the location, everything, and the word belly dance in it. Um, I can tell you that for me, um, we have hosted uh, Jamila Noon as one of the first international uh, instructors I brought that was um, here in the United States in 2008. He was the first one that I, this is when I first started exploring, um, bringing international artists and trying to get visas. And at that time, um, I was like very, very nervous because I'd never done this before. But I was able to obtain a 10-year visa with him um, to come to the United States. And then after that, the process continued. I I have obtained visas for um, musicians like Matthias Kasrum. I have obtained visas for uh, dancers coming um, from Ukraine um, last and from Russia. Last year we had... Um, Alabas, and we had Juliana Boronina. We also have had um, so many. I mean, I, I'm sure I will forget somebody in the process of everything. Um, but we had uh, always um, obtained visas with the name of the festival, never never denying uh, the work that we do here. And the reason why also is because we're working with government, and so I, I always wanted it to be honest in the way that I, I present that. Um, what is funny, though, that um, when one of my artists went to, I also obtained visas for participants that were coming to attend the event. They're required to to get letters of invitations for the dance schools to bring their dancers. So we have had a group of over 20 people that came as well uh, two years ago, and I had obtained visas for all of them. Um, one of the things that was funny, I remember um, this school, uh, all of them, um, tried to get visas, of course, from the same country, and they all had to go to the same embassy. And everybody showed up with the same letter of invitation. The only thing that changed was the name of the participant and their information, their private information, personal information, of course. Um, But it was funny because by the time the artist went to obtain the visa that was from the same country, the person that was in the embassy ended up saying, oh, you're coming from Natalie, right? So people already knew (laughs) that the 
that were getting the visa for the same festival. So, so to be honest, uh, no, I never had a situation like that. Yes, we have had situations in the past where somebody will not get the visa. And I think in the past year, it has gotten a little bit more difficult um, because of the different situations with the government right now in the United States being becoming a little bit more strict on who comes into the country and why not. But um, other than that, um, we have, have not had any problems or, or not seen recognized. I always I always uh, named the Miami Belly Dance Convention and always use the word belly dance. And um, I also I also uh, invite these artists and I let the people uh, from the embassy know that it's an international festival where people from all over the world come um, to study with belly dance. And a lot of people really have been able to to achieve the visa through that so that's a, a that's a great thing mm, i'm super happy to to hear it and uh, very surprised because uh, typically the visa Uh, procedures and all this stuff uh, sounds so scary and <laughs> I know a lot of event organizers they are even about like thinking maybe I shouldn't even try to organize uh, this event or bring try to bring that specific teacher because uh, I will need to get visa and I don't know it it's so difficult and it really can stress out so I'm happy to hear that you were very successful in most cases and even people were getting like 10 year visas but for someone who uh, sort of thinking about possibly invite uh, uh, dancer in their country and they but they know that there will be visa requirements or if you're talking specifically about USA because I assume in different countries will be different uh, attitude and different procedures but uh, how scary or not scary is in reality the um, procedure of acqu acquiring visa and what would be your advice or suggestion for event organizers what to pay attention or what to be ready for to make sure the successful uh, approval of the visa for artists that they are thinking to bring in Yes, you know, to be honest, uh, there's always there's always cases where the visa could not be um, um, approved, and that's where it's outside of the organizer's hands. You know, it's out of your control um, because once the government, especially here in the United States, um, it has gotten a little bit more tough. Um, So definitely once it's outside of your control, there's nothing you can do. My advice, I, and this is how I operate, I I. That doesn't hold me back, to be honest with you. The visa is something that I'm not scared of. Even though I know there is, an, uh, uh, there is a, um, a chance that, you know, there is a chance that the, the specific uh, artist will not um, get the visa. Um, I always, I, I guess my advice will be, which is what I do, I always have a plan B. Um, so this is why I talk with different um, sorry, different artists in the industry and when one unfortunately if one then not is not able to come or is not able to um to attend the event for visa reasons or for for reasons that are outside of my control then i start speaking to another artist that might be able to cover that spot so that the, the event doesn't stay with uh without without the cancer and then we can continue giving the participants what was promised Um, but definitely always being honest because there are, there are situations that, of course, you cannot control when it comes with the government. Um, so what I do is I have it stated on my website 
that while we do everything in our power to bring international artists to the United States, um, this is the one of my main priorities to bring new people, new international artists that people here don't have the opportunity to study with all the time. I also have stated there that there is chances that because of this situation, uh, they might not be able to attend the event. While we do everything that I could possibly do in my end, sometimes there's cases where there's nothing else I can do. Um, and so what I do is I always try to bring another artist to try to make sure that we can give a little bit more um, to the participants so that they don't stay disappointed and, um, and, and still understanding that we did everything in our power to get the, um, the dancer here. Hmm. And how much in advance do you typically start uh, dealing with visa uh, visa applications? Uh, because it also takes time, but I don't think it can be too much in advance. And on top of that, your artists are very busy people too, traveling all the time. So how do you yes. communicate this with artists that they are doing whatever is necessary to do from their side to make sure that uh, that uh, getting visa and getting it in advance. <laughs> yes, definitely. The thing with with uh, different artists from different countries, it all depends on their country rules uh, while applying for visas. Everywhere is different. You cannot apply a year in advance, uh, that's for sure, which that's what I would love to do. <laughs> I would love all my artists to have the visa a year in advance so I can be for my own peace of mind and in the head. But it is a little bit of a stressful process because, unfortunately, you cannot. And you can only apply either six months in advance. I think that the most has been six months. Um, and then some others, you can only do it four months in advance or three months in advance, which is really scary for an event organizer. But like I say, this has not stopped me from moving forward with the artists I want to bring into this country. Um, but but I do. I'm always trying to stay. It's a lot easier now to stay in communication with the artists, whether they are in their own countries or, or working in another country. It's easier because we have applications that we can talk on the phone. We can say each other, send each other voice messages. We can uh, do FaceTime. We can do so many things now that before we couldn't. So the process before was a little bit harder than it is now uh, to be in communication. But nowadays with, with all the technology we have, it's a lot easier to be in communication. So I always try to be on top of my artists to make sure that I remind them that they need to make sure that they do all their part, um, whether they're setting up the appointments or making sure that they get whatever they need from me, which is the, the letters of invitation, visa application, whatever I can do in my part from over here, I do. And then I, I, I make sure that I'm in constant communication with them as far as um, them doing their part so that we can just move forward quickly. Mm. I also know that uh, US, uh, USA is very strict and specific on terms of uh, foreign uh, people working inside the country. And I know about several cases that artists who had a visa to enter country, they still were stopped on the borders in the airport and basically turned back because the officer considered that their visa was not uh, appropriate for the activities that they are coming in the country. Have you ever had uh, 
um, situations that your artist received visa, but basically the officer on the borders in the USA already decided that no, it's not appropriate, and they actually even with visa didn't enter the country. How have you ever had anything like that? Thank God, no. <laughs> so I'm really, really happy that that did not happen. Uh, that would definitely be um, something that would definitely be uh, heartbreaking for a lot, especially if it's the weekend of the event, because that's why usually the artists come into the country. Um, I have not had that situation happen to me. I guess the most important thing when you hire this artist and when you do this um, is knowing what kind of visa they're applying for and what kind of visa you need to have to apply for them to make sure that you are... Um, you know, that you are within the requirements of what the government wants, not only for the artist, but also for the event organizer. Because here, when we live here in the United States, we, uh, as, as a legal business, um, you also have to comply with certain uh, specifications of the business. Um, otherwise, you can get in trouble yourself. So so for me, I always have to make sure that I am um, uh, fully aware of the visa application process and what kind of visa. There are so many different visas uh, that are able to be applied for the United States. So you just have to be aware of that. Um, talk to different lawyers, immigration lawyers, and make sure that you are informed and make sure that you that you know what you're doing. Don't just blindly, uh, if you do have a legal business, then you want to stay within the legal matters um, and situations that your business requires so that you don't get into bigger trouble um, besides just not letting one artist come in, it could be something even worse. So I always try to make sure that I stay within the legal matters of the business. Mm, well, and I assume probably it will be different in every specific country because the kinds and types of visas, uh, I guess, will be different. I mean, there are like general definition, touristic, working, uh, tra- uh, transit visa, but usually even within those uh, visas, there are a lot of different uh, kinds and I assume it will be different for every country. Yes, definitely it is. Yeah. Along with hosting so many teachers, you also host a lot of participants. Uh, I don't know if you remember the exact number of participants from last year, but I assume it would be something about four five hundred people <laughs> attending your, your festival. How do you manage to sort of circulate and just to host together in one space such an amount of people who are constantly moving from one room to another. They constantly need uh, um, some questions to be answered or something to find the extra information or anything. Like, how do you manage to create this structure that uh, all those people can have incredible experience at the event uh, and still uh, be part of such a big scale of of um, event <laughs> well my first answer would be by the grace of god i can do it <laughs> but, uh, my second answer will be that i work very very hard um i definitely uh like i say i I try to organize. I'm working in the event from a year prior, and I try to definitely um, have a, a good team um, helping me, which I also manage and organize to make sure that while 
we the weekend of the festival every, everything is taken care of like volunteers and managers and uh, stage managers and uh, competition coordinators and vendors coordinators and so all of that I have a group of uh, people that I trust um, that has been you know with me for many many years that I always kind of like uh, put in place to help me out. And, and this didn't happen from the beginning. In the beginning, it was me doing all of it. Um, but as the years progress, you know, I have had the opportunity to have different people in place so that we can um, we can actually pull through the whole weekend event. It is really big and it is exhausting. Um, just to give you an idea, last year, I think, was a very hard um, I work very hard to make sure that everybody leaves that event with a good experience. And most people that come to the festival have no idea that we are probably going crazy in the background, you know, um, because we try as much as we can to to make sure that they're enjoying the whole process of everything. And, and um, that's the whole goal. You know, the goal is that when they come to the event, that they they enjoy fully everything. Not Like I say, not only the teachers, but everything happening in the festival. Um, last year, I my son, I was, my son was with me as well um, during the, the weekend. And the last day of the event during competition, he got really, really sick. And um, it was so hard for me. I think this was one of the hardest things that I had to do because I had to finish the event and I had to attend to my son. And when my husband was there as a mom, you know, was very torn. I was like, oh my gosh, what do I do? How do I do this? But we did it. And I, just to give you an idea, that was a Sunday night the last day of the event I had to finish announce all the winners uh, gave all the prizes for the for the competition and run to the emergency room with my son until the next day so I didn't sleep for 24 hours and then I had to take care of all my artists and bring them to the airport and make sure that everybody was taken care of and um, so it was a really tough and I think a week after that I just showed up my phone I didn't speak to anyone for a week <laughs> so I needed some rest but um, um, but it's definitely, it's definitely uh, organization. I think uh, um, main thing is to make sure that um, that I, whenever I find the time, I, I do a lot of time management when I can. So I I also run a school, so I try to do what I have to do during the day, uh, take care of my son, do everything. And and usually when I work the most. Uh, the best for me personally for my uh, for my festival is at night time when everybody is asleep when everybody is like when I have silence I can definitely focus on doing everything that I have to do which is organization we do a lot of a lot of meetings with the staff and um, putting people in place and uh, competitions and music and all that kind of good stuff so so management, my management is, is a big, big deal when it comes to big festivals like this. You just have to be organized. Hmm. That's crazy even just to hear what was happening uh, uh, a year ago is that story. I'm sorry to hear about it, but uh, happy that everything was figured out. And solved afterwards. Yes, yes. everything um, was figured out. The event ended up in a good note. Everyone was happy. Nobody even knew about it. My baby just got a rash. Uh, he got allergic to something. And we don't know if he ate something. So he had like hives. But uh, everything was good. And he was great afterwards. It was something small, but, but definitely a challenge. And, you know, the reason why I tell you this story is because sometimes 
challenges will will come up during an organization, things that are outside of your control that you just have to learn how to deal with. And and so that was one challenge that presented to me that I was um, very stressed out and I didn't know how I was going to be able to, to do it, but it, it, it got done perfectly. And I was just so happy to receive so many messages from the participants after the event, thanking me for the great weekend and telling me how amazing everything was and how well organized. And, and that is what encourages me every year to make sure that I do a good job of, of putting everything in place and trying to make sure that whatever little things we missed uh, the prior year we don't miss this year and so you just keep learning every year as you organize the event yeah that's uh, truly so rewarding sometimes to hear people's uh, feedback and just to feel that all the work it was worth all the time energy and yes. health and it's also a nice reminder to all the people and participants don't take anything for granted whatever happened like you experience something nice just take a second a minute and uh, just text a thank you, simple thank you to whoever the organizer is because you never know what was actually happening <laughs> there. Exactly, so it may, may exactly. have a... Yeah, and really thank God I have very, um, I always have such good feedback from all the participants. You know, you always have one or two that are going to be displeased with everything that you do, but that's normal in life, right? You can't please everybody. So that's one thing that I guess I will tell the event organizers too, that while you put your event together, learn and be open for suggestions and be open to hear what the participants are asking for or wanting to do. But don't take everything to heart and don't 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 be disappointed by all the stress of people who are just not thankful for what you've done. Um, you always have to grow and learn and whatever experiences I can grow from and I can apply to the event, I do. And whatever things that don't serve me or serve the purpose of my event, I just kind of put it aside and keep on going. And I am so thankful for all those participants that, that, that travel from so many different countries and then take the time to send emails or send messages through Facebook thanking me and telling me how amazing uh, the, the experience is here. And like I say, for me, sometimes I get amazed myself to hear dancers that come from other countries telling me that they have been in many different festivals and, and this has been one of the best well-organized. Sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for saying this because it definitely adds a little bit of um, rewarding feeling to all the hard work and all the things that we go through trying to put together a good a good weekend for everybody and to continue to lift the art form into a higher level, which is always my goal since the beginning. Mm. By the way, I know so many event organizers who right after they finish their annual festival, they just swear they're never going to do it again because of all the challenges and all the difficult uh, situations and, and stresses that they endure and all the sleepless night or the, the week. I literally can recount on my mind right now at least like 10 people who I went to organizers and who told like oh I will never do it it was my last event I'm never like doing uh, this uh, stressful work again and then they still keep doing it for next year have you <laughs> have you ever had this situation that you had for a moment that feeling I really don't want to do it again <laughs> Oh my God, every year. I think every year <laughs> since 2008, I finished the event and I tell all my staff, 
this is the last year. I'm not doing this again. <laughs> <laughs> and then I start organizing an event, uh, the event again. You know, I think it's, it, it's, a, it's a natural feeling when we become stressed out and people deal, deal with stress in different, different ways. Um, I guess one of the, one of the first um, mechanisms to deal with stress, personal stress, is to want to run away from the problem, right? So, so every year, one of the things that I want to do is as soon as the event finishes, I want to pay everybody and I want to go hide under my bed and not come out, you know? <laughs> and like, I want to make sure that I don't do this again. But then, you know, that's my first reaction. And usually the first reaction is not never the, it's never really the right reaction. So, so I always tell myself that, um, you know, you just always have to remember why you started, you know, why you started, what's the purpose, what's, what's the bigger purpose of what you're doing. And challenges is, uh, if you see your challenges as a different, um, as an opportunity to grow, I think that, that that will encourage you to do better. You see, challenges will, for me, will stress me out in the moment. And I will probably, yes, I had every year that moment where I said, that's it, no more. I'm not organizing this event again. But then, you know, then I I see that as a, as a way of challenging myself, just like in everything, right? As a dancer, uh, you, you take a dance class that challenges you. And if you're having a hard time getting a certain step or, or getting a certain choreography or, or, or even starting with a certain teacher, uh, your first reaction is going to want to run away. But you're not growing on that. You know, growing is, is, is going through what, what's difficult so that you can, uh, you know, get to the other side. And so for me, I always see it. I operate like that in everything in my life, you know, okay, so this is very hard. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to push through to try to get better and try to continue growing. And to be honest with you, every year has been different challenges, different Mm -hmm. and different forms. You know, I I just explained to you last year, of course, as a mother was a, a new challenge for me, but prior to that, I had so many challenges. Um, and I think that, now I can say 12 years later that, of course, the challenges that I encountered the first years, I don't have them anymore because I learned from that. I pushed through and now I know what to look for um, and what to do to make sure that that doesn't happen again. But every year there's going to be something new that just continues to push you into learning more and, and actually making sure that, that you go to that you do it differently. And so I remember one year we had a challenge with uh, the competition um, and um, we decided that we needed to make sure that we were very, a little bit more strict on the rules and regulations um, to be able to um, make sure that the participants and the people that were coming to compete, that they had the, the experience where they, they, they were not living thinking there was fraud or that this, this competition is not real. There's so many, I hear so many people coming into my festival or, or even thinking about coming to my festival. They email me way ahead of time or purchasing their packages or, or their tickets to travel to the U.S., saying how they had such bad experiences with competitions and different festivals where the students of the organizers win or when where things are like just set up, you know. And so one of the things for me was always very, very important that when people come to my festival, uh, everything is honest. I want the competition to be honest. When they step on that stage, judges, you know, we give them the, the, the score sheets with their comments from the judges right there and then in front of them. Everything, everybody find out, including myself, who wins on the stage with them when I have to announce them, I find out with them. So 
So everything is very open and honest. And, and, and that was one challenge that in the beginning I had to really look and, and try to study on how to make it a way where people people feel that there was no fraud and there was something that was real. And and, and um, I tell you today, you know, I overcame that and I was able to be more strict on the rules and regulations and make sure that I I I really stay firm on that, like like the age limits and um, you know, asking for ID and making parents sign sheets and making, you know, coach sign release forms and so a lot of different things and things that go behind the organization process where you have to be aware. Um, that if you're not then that, that will definitely um defame your name and the name of the the festival, you know? Mm. So, so true. And such a good point, because uh, there is a lot, I kind of feel, uh, these uh, years, these days, there is like little, a sort of taste of disappointment in the ballet dance industry on some sort of topics, but including this uh, hot topic of competitions and their fairness. So uh, it's great that you're taking... uh, extra attention to it to make sure that uh, participants of your event they feel that it's uh, that experience that they were looking for when they are coming to the event yes and to me it's very very important you know nowadays there's festivals everywhere and every month there's one festival in the united states and outside the united states and i think that one of the things that is important is 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 not to compete with the festivals but just to Focus on how you can make your festival stand out and, and make sure that your festival is um, honest. Because a lot of a lot of comments that I have gotten from participants were that yeah, they invest the money in going to certain festivals, but then they said to me, "I never go back again." And so that's not my goal. My goal is to have uh, participants and 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 attendees that keep wanting to come every year. This is how we were able to build that trust for 12 years. And I have people that last year at the festival were buying already passes for this year without even knowing which ones were the teachers or the location or nothing. That's how much they trust. They just pay for the full package a year in advance because they know they're going to get something good regardless of who it is and what it is and where it is. And so that's the kind of trust that I liked from the beginning that I wanted to establish. And that was my higher purpose. My my purpose was I want people to continue wanting to come. I don't care about people coming once and leaving upset and never coming back again. I want people that are still feeling that this is the, the event that want to keep coming back every year. And Thank God, and it, it has been great. I have a lot of loyal girls that, and participants that, like I say, they're just a year in advance. So they're registered for the festival, you know, and, and they're very excited. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the best uh, uh, type of promotion. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. More than social media or anything else, because I believe when you build that trust, um, then people already know that you're going to give them something good for, for what the money, you know, their festivals are not cheap and a lot of people charge a lot of money. It's not cheap for the organizer to organize and it's not cheap for the participant to attend. So how can you make sure that the, the, the person that is, um, you know, participating and paying all this money, they get something that is going to be worth for them, you know, and, and they want to continue coming. And that is the best type of promotion to be honest for me. Um, I I put my heart and soul into this festival and I 
every year I just I just love when I see the same faces coming back. For me, it's like it's almost like they become a little family, you know. Like um, I had recently a girl that, that travels every year. And she purchased her pass a, a year in advance, and she every year she say, "Hey, I'm getting ready to to go. You know, can you find me a roommate? Can you?" So it's almost like a family, you know. Mm-hmm. So then I help them to try to locate with another dancer so that they can roommate and they can have they can stay in the same hotel and they become friends and relationships begin from people across the world. I had a student last year who attended the event and ended up like meeting somebody from, I believe it was Chicago and they roommate together and they didn't know each other. And today they're very good friends. So I think that, I think that is important, you know, a, 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 an event is, it's how you organize is what's going to come out of it. And so I always see the responsibility of, of the organizer is the most important responsibility. It's a huge responsibility to organize festivals. So I kind of like um, get a little bit uh, disappointed when I see everybody putting festivals because I feel like you need to make sure that it's, it's a huge responsibility responsibility that you're undertaking. So you need to make sure that you're going to give your 150% so that way, you know, you don't, we don't continue to, to pull the level of the dance down. We don't continue to disappoint people and, and people not taking it, not only from, from the general audience, but from our own industry. People in our own industry are disappointed with, with big festivals and big events. And that's such, a, that's such a shame, you know, because as a community, we should help each other continue to grow and continue to, um, um, you know, like continue to elevate the art form, you know? Mm, definitely. So, so to the point that I was like, I just keep, keep telling <laughs> such, so amazing, like <laughs> nice uh, points to bring attention uh, to. Uh, by the way, if we could uh, time travel and if you could uh, met yourself, uh, but 12 years ago, <laughs> As a young <laughs> event organizer, <laughs> what kind of advice would you give yourself? Oh my gosh! Um, wow, that's a good question. <laughs> There's so many advices I will give my young self, um, but one of the things I believe will be not to be so impulsive, um, not to do everything by feelings. Because sometimes our feelings can trick us um, in sense of who you trust and who you put in 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 places in your in your um, event and in different departments or the artists that you bring things like that. Just not to be so impulsive to do your research to study, not to just jump on it. I think that's a that's a that's the mind of a young person, right? I can do everything, and you just go for it. And as you become more mature and older, you tend to think things more. Um, and, and sometimes it, it, it's good to have that feeling of just like like that young soul that wanted to do everything and nothing can stop you. But also as you mature, it's also good to, to take a step back and not be so impulsive and think and research and, and put things together because mistakes any little things that you do impulsively can can generate little big mistakes and big confusions and big things and i think that i have experienced a lot of challenges that i think that were done because of uh, my impulsiveness of of being so young and and thinking that i can run the world (laughs) Mm, 
that's a great advice and not only in event organization but in general in life <laughs> i know true right <laughs> <laughs> yeah so true uh, so can you tell our listeners please uh, where what are the dates of your upcoming uh, convention in miami Yes, we are very excited. We are very close. It's going to be August 22nd to the 25th. Um, this year we are doing it in a new location, which I'm really excited about. Um, we are moving it to uh, the beach and Sunny Isles Beach, which is a private beach resort. So the participants actually get also the whole experience of Miami. Of course, if you come into Miami, you want to go to the beach. And before we were doing it in downtown Miami, the city, so it was nice. We were still close to the beach, but you still had to travel. This one is actually oceanfront on the beach. So the participants are going to get like not only a great um, uh, classes and shows and festival, but also a mini vacation for the weekend. So whoever wants to come in and get a vacation, make a vacation out of it. They will be on the beach. It's a private beach resort. It's beautiful, cozy. Um, and it has like uh, the borders are so, so beautiful as well for the shows. So it's August 22nd to the 25th. Um, I'm really excited about this. And yeah, we're just getting, we're getting ready for that um, all the information is on our website which is miamibellydanceconvention.net and you can see pictures of the resort and the and the schedule for the weekend and the instructors and everything we we are bringing this mm-hmm. year and you also have amazing lineup of instructors yes yes i have an amazing lineup of instructors um we have uh international guest artists as well coming this year which uh, I'm really excited um, we have a lot of different fashion designers coming as well from internationally and um, this year we also releasing uh, the first uh, Miami Belly Dance Convention uh, disc uh, so we're going to be releasing that on Thursday evening where we're going to be having all the music and the CDs for sale uh, with uh, produced by Matias Casroom um, so we are very very excited and Dancers from all over the world are coming to perform uh, for that release party as well. So it's going to be really nice. Oh, wow. That's uh, something very unusual. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. But it sounds already awesome, even like just uh, uh, hearing about your event and also knowing the, about combination of vacation mood and some dance learning. Like what can be better? Nothing, I think. <laughs> Exactly, um, exactly. And for a lot of the participants, sometimes comes with their husbands or their boyfriends or their kids. And while mom or, or they are taking classes, they're like, the boys don't know what to do. So this one is perfect because it has a pool, beach, and the kids can be outside. The husbands can be outside. So in the beach and enjoying the weather while the moms of girlfriends or wives are taking their classes. <laughs> That's awesome. And, uh, of course, uh, I will add all links in the show notes. So for um, uh, everyone who is interested in checking information about upcoming event or maybe already uh, sort of waiting to hear even about next event, <laughs> if your August is already booked, but maybe mark uh, sort of approximate dates for 2020 as well but all links will be in the uh, show uh, notes so you can easily go and click there and find all information about the event and um 
I am really happy we had this kind of conversation today on the podcast because I think it's first time that we went really deep into the topic of event organization and it was very generous of you to share your experience and so many practical tips, especially in those very specific and uh, a bit scary for many people topics such as like visa applications or putting together um, big events uh, and inviting artists. So thank you so much, uh, Natalie, to for sharing uh, uh, your time and your knowledge with us today. <laughs> no, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really, really excited. I love your work and I'm, I'm so excited to be a part of your podcast. And, and I think it's great to to keep the, the community informed and you're also doing a great job to elevate the art form. So congratulations and thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's my pleasure. And I always finish every episode with our signature question of the podcast. And the question is, uh, what makes you fall in love with ballet dance again and again so you keep doing it for so many years? Oh, so many things. Well, I'm in love with dance in general. You know, I think that I was, I was saying this to somebody the other day, I was born to dance, uh, literally. I love what I do. But um, as I continue to um, mature in my dance, I think one of the things that makes me fall in love is um, so many things. It's so hard to answer this question, but um, I am really, really enjoying uh, the rewarding process of teaching now. I think passing on the legacy is um so rewarding uh, to see your your dancers achieving great things or things that you have already achieved and kind of like coaching them to um, to move into this dance or and doing this. But um, dance is I always say it, it's like a therapy, you know. It's just uh, it just comes natural for me from the heart. I I just love everything about it. And belly dancing for me is. Um, I love the fact that we can express ourselves uh, with our bodies and with our, our souls, but in a different way than how the world might think or, uh, it is. You know, like we talked about in the beginning, the way belly dance has been portrayed to the general audience and really the way that we do it as professionals and um, here in the States and um to me, what what I love is the fact that I created so much community out of it, and um, that's what keeps me um, going every every day. You know, seeing my students grow, coaching them for competitions, uh, seeing them um, inspired to wanting to become teachers themselves or, or doing big things. That's one of the things that for me, I I love. I love I love the art form. I love. Um, the fact that I can pass that on to them. Thank you for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if so, do you know the best way to support this project is to share it with your friends. 
It takes few seconds, costs you nothing, but it helps a lot to move this project forward and help me to bring more awesome guests on the podcast in the future. You can tell your friend, you can send a message, email, you can screenshot and put a, a post on social media, whatever works better for you. But if every one of you will share this episode at least with one more person, it will make a huge difference for this podcast. Thank you for spending your time with us, for your support and love. And until next time, keep shimming, keep dancing, and I will see you soon. Mm-hmm.